All right, it is now time for our bonus segment, our long-awaited conversation about O.J. Made in America. Do you remember that documentary series, Mike? I do. I was thinking about it today. And I was thinking that I'm going to make my own documentary series about the incident or the overall thing. And I'm going to note that. Let's see. O.J. serving time in prison. Marsh Clark got a new haircut. Uh, Furman is gainfully employed by a major broadcaster. And I'm going to call my series O.J. It all worked out in the end. <laughs> well, it was relevant. I, I, before you went into uh, that spiel, if, if yeah. I may call it that, um, yeah. I thought you were going to reference the fact that that Ali Summit and black athlete activism played a huge role in episode one of the OJ series about how Harry Edwards and others approached him uh, about joining up with Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and really coming out strongly in you know support of black athletes and the issues that were extremely relevant at that time. And he demurred. And, you know, said, I'm not black. I'm OJ, among other it's things. His own race. He was the race of OJ. But that was just one example of how brilliant this documentary was at explaining the context of race in Los Angeles and building this into a bigger story, one that is totally deserving of this um, you know, five episode, seven and a half hour sweep, totally deserving of all the adulation that it got and was totally, you know, revelatory and brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic documentary. Uh, I happen to be a huge fan of helicopter establishing shots, and this had about <laughs> 341 of them. There were just these little details, and I had watched the AMC series based on the Jeffrey Tubin book, and I've even interviewed Tubin, and I've read Tubin's book, and you know, I, I'm pretty steeped in... Uh, you went camping old... with Tubin. I've sat yeah. in an airplane next I to went, Tubin. I went actually Tubin with Tubin. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm saying I'm pretty steeped in uh, the OJ story. And this, you know, doubled or tripled my knowledge of it, which is pretty rare for a documentary. You know, we like to think of documentaries. Well, I read the book and the documentary did a pretty good job of capturing the book. Actually, this documentary, and you got to give it credit for its scope. You got to give ESPN credit. This is, I mean... <clears throat> Uh, this documentary, so to finish the first thought, went way beyond the uh, scope and actually what it said about context, more so than any other documentary I've ever seen. And I would posit that this was there were times when they did not mention sports except extremely obliquely for minutes, if not an hour on end. And yeah. in a way, it had to be the most non-sports programming ESPN has ever put on its air. And so you got to give it a compliment for that. And what I found really jarring was watching this documentary and then watching or starting to watch because I couldn't get through it, the latest Ken Burns about Jackie Robinson. Um, mm. a, a real racial pioneer, someone who certainly is worthy of five parts or ten parts. Um, his life was so important to American sports and American culture. And the Burns documentary is so boring. I mean, it is so formulaic. It is so structured. Doris Kearns Goodwin and George Will and the background music and the, the newspaper clips. I mean, what Ezra Edelman has managed to do is take something that would be treated as a historical archival story and turn it into much more of a sort of polemical story that is crafted really creatively 
and uses archival footage and archival documents in a way that are way more compelling than what I think we've become accustomed to with serious uh, historical sports documentaries. Well, it also shows just how important and valuable it is to create um, a series like this within a couple decades of the events happening. I mean, well, first of all, there's going to be great footage because this whole OJ saga, his whole life played out on film, whether it's in sports highlights or TV commercials or whether it's the trial. But, you know, the people who played roles in this story, whether it's the civil rights part of it or whether it's the trial or whether it's um, OJ's friends, they're mostly still alive. And it was really brilliant, I thought, Mike, the way that people would kind of start out in the series as talking heads, whether they were mm. civil rights leaders mm -hmm. or, um, you know, people that OJ knew and how they would kind of be organically woven into the story as it went along. And so you're like, oh, this isn't just like a historian or like Doris Kearns Goodwin. Like this is somebody who like played a central role in this saga. And the whole thing was just done so kind of smoothly where um, the parts of the story that were more broad and contextual, they all kind of fed in and very kind of uh, sometimes surprising and sometimes, you know, often elegant ways into the central narrative. Yes, the, the documentary had many brilliant points on some of the archival footage. Stefan and I were talking about that one scene where we saw OJ running indoors, winning the race. But I don't know what the venue was, but there was a huge pillar right at the finish line that lane three and four had to run around. There were like 10 of those that you had to go back and watch and say, did, did that really happen? And I heard the guys on the Culture Gap Fest uh, giving you credit for something that wouldn't even occur to me, but establishing why he was so good as a running back, which I just took for granted that people would know. But of course, you know, there are dozens of young people or non-sports people who don't know it. And just a line here or there, I think the one that stuck out to Dana was he could run as fast sideways as some people can run forward. Now, to get gems like that, you have had to have done so many hours of interviews mm -hmm. And beyond, I think his uh, his skill as an interviewer was really apparent. And he also did that thing where he let uh, probably Mark Furman came away from those interviews saying, oh, good, I said what I had to say. And yet when aired in the context of the documentary, I would say most reasonable viewers came away saying, wow, Mark Furman, still a racist bigot. At, but the extra compliment is, I bet you Mark Furman, because he is a racist bigot, watched and said, yeah, that, that was fair. I don't think I was distorted in any way. But I wanted to ask you guys, so by not being in the documentary, Chris Darden was somewhat downplayed. I also think they didn't go uh, super in-depth about the decisions that Lance Ito made or didn't make that affected the outcome. And that was one area where the AMC series I think nailed it more than this documentary did, although most of the court parts of this documentary were really familiar to me having watched the AMC series. I just had a little bit of a, not a problem, this isn't a documentary problem, but the uh, character, if you will, of Marsha Clark, I thought that she was being held out as an expert and I just kept saying, yeah, but you lost the case and uh, in several occasions. You know what? That's the exact kind of thinking that made 
made it clear why you would lose the case. She's less of an expert maybe than she and possibly the documentary would have us believe. But isn't that the doesn't that help sort of uh, prosecute the prosecution? The fact that we can see that Marsha Clark um, made the mistakes and that she allowed Chris Darden to make a crucial mistake, letting OJ try on the glove. Um, and then speaking as if she's an expert, I think it's, it's it's not hard to come away with the conclusion that, oh, yeah, that's why they lost, um, that there are flaws here and that Edelman is allowing her to expose them at the same time that he's exposing them. I mean, uh, just thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, my writing a book on a story that was not as big as the OJ story, the, the welfare queen, uh, nothing as big as the OJ story. But that I'm trying to bring a, a lot of context to bear and kind of explain the circumstances that led to a certain event happening. Um, you are a little bit at the mercy of who's willing to talk to you. And the story, even if you don't want it to be, the story is inevitably going to be shaped by that. And I can t- can't you can imagine the documentary being different if Chris Darden had talked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if Al Cowlings had talked, or even if Cato Kalin had had talked. Um, yeah, maybe so, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to go, you know, rule of three, um, yeah. and that doesn't mean that the documentary would have been better or worse. You know, it's necessarily not even in five parts and seven and a half hours, not anywhere close to getting to you know. A, a full picture, um, but certainly reached a threshold whereby you felt like Ezra Edelman and all of the people certainly who worked on this had done more um, than anyone else had ever done and built up a kind of scaffolding where you felt like they had done all the work and had totally earned all of their kind of viewpoints and, and opinions about what led to the results of the trial and, and really what, uh, you know, whatever else they wanted to say about it. What did you guys walk away with as the, as your takeaway that what shocked the, you the most in conclusion, the uh, psychosis of OJ Simpson, even if he hadn't murdered two people, just the absolute strangeness and, uh, the discomfort I had with, you know, how he how he thought he had to navigate life. And I couldn't help but thinking a lot of Michael Jordan, who's never murdered anyone. I'll give you that. But what about, you know, if this story weren't first of all, if there were no murders, we'd never analyze this story and we wouldn't think about all the context of L.A. and we wouldn't think about the, you know, self-abnegating black man. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much stuff we wouldn't think about. Um, and I was just thinking about applying this to other uh, black athletes and the way that, you know, they feel they have to navigate society or that society, you know, demands they navigate life. I mean, I think my takeaway was that the trial accomplished absolutely nothing, nothing changed by virtue of it. And that the justice system is complete, completely doesn't work in America for anybody and for anybody ever. And that will probably always be the case. Um, and yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that's a, that's among it. <laughs> I think I was saddened the most by how... By Cato Kalen not being in it. Yeah. And by how 
OJ's life effectively was one fraud perpetrated after another. Um, his, you know, what Mike, what you just called the sort of self-abnegating black man, but his way of effectively scamming his way through everything and creating this false persona and having his goals be enabled by one person after another after another. And that ultimately led to what happened to him and to the victims. I hope this provided some closure to uh, people who've been wanting us to talk about this uh, documentary. Uh, and if and boy was he a shitty golfer. Let's add that too. <laughs> Let's add that. Uh, thank you, Slate Plus members. We'll be back with more next week.